Hello, and welcome to the River's Edge Church Podcast. Today, Pastor Dave Johnson will bring a message of hope through our series, The Disciplined Life. We're excited to share another episode with you today. And now, here's Pastor Dave. All right, good morning. We are in a series called The Disciplined Life. Uh, it's been great. We started the, actually the very last Sunday of the year. We started on New Year's Eve, and uh, we've last week we talked about, or a few, the first week we talked about what disciplines are, what it means to be a disciplined person in Christ, uh, and then we've been looking at some really specific disciplines. Last week, Pastor Bethany led us through the inward disciplines. I'm going to look at the outward disciplines, and then uh, next week we'll look at the corporate disciplines. Uh, but before we did that, I just did everybody see our new sign out there in the front? Looks good, right? Yeah, that's, that's our new logo, new signs out, and uh, thanks to Bob and the team for that. It's just been incredible. Uh, it's, it's a lot more work than you would think about just sliding. I thought when we got that sign, I was like, yeah, we'll just slide the old one out and put the new one in, and uh, they laughed uh, because there's actual welding involved, and so they had to like re-weld the entire inside of the sign, so it's a ton of work, so it was really cool to see that get done. Um, and then I had another thing I was going to say. Oh, yeah, the book of Revelation, we're starting that in February. So um, join us for that. There's a lot to cover there, but uh, let's dive right into it today. Um, I've told many of you that one of my favorite persons to learn from is a guy named Dallas Willard. And I can't remember if this was a lecture that I was at in person or a lecture I watched on YouTube, because I've been to like maybe nine or ten in-person lectures of his, and I've watched countless hours on YouTube of this guy lecture. And if you ever go, you just write that name down, go watch him on YouTube, and you think, how did Pastor Dave watch countless hours of this guy? Because at first he comes across monotone and boring. But when you get to know him, he's like really, really funny. And uh, one of the things that I heard him say that I think about every now and then, and I, and I just laugh, uh, is, is this. And it's a joke that he made. And he basically said this. He said, you know, I, you read the scriptures, you read the New Testament, and you see that Jesus cured people of leprosy. Jesus healed the lame. He cured a man born blind. He raised the dead. But did you ever notice that he never cured anyone from lying? He never cured anyone from selfishness. And, and the obvious joke of it is that physical healing could be done in an instant. But the character is a work of the will. It's a slow process that takes time. Now, has Jesus cured me from selfishness? Well, I'm not totally cured from selfishness. I'm still human. I'm still a selfish person. But is it different than it was 10 years ago? Absolutely. Am I more selfless? Absolutely. But the point is that in Jesus' three years of ministry, these works of the character and transformation, of course they're ongoing in process, they happen. But what he cured from was physical diseases, things that Jesus can just touch and heal and cure from. But lying and selfishness and anger and all these things take a slow work of the will of desiring to be with God in such a way that He transforms our innermost being. And this is what the disciplines do. It's, it, you know, you may have heard the phrase like putting somebody under discipline. And it's a bad thing, right? Like, um, 
in school, you would be under discipline. You'd have to go to suspension or study hall or whatever it would be so that you didn't do some type of behavior. Or maybe with your kids, you've, you've, you know, you've banished them to their rooms. They're grounded and they're under discipline so they don't do that one thing that you didn't want them to do. Discipline is a good thing. Parents, discipline is a good thing. The book of Proverbs says if you don't discipline your children, then you hate them. We love our kids, right? We want them to be good. We want good things for them. Discipline is a good thing. Disciplining yourself to be more like Jesus is a phenomenal thing. It takes effort. And we have to remember that grace is not opposed to effort. Some people in the church hear effort, and all of a sudden they go, I knew he's a saved by works guy. I knew it. That guy's a saved by works. No, 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 no. We're, we're saved by grace. We're saved by Jesus, by the free gift of his grace. But it takes effort on our part to become the person that Jesus would be if he were us. It takes our effort. It takes our own discipline. It takes our own time. It takes our own intention. It takes our own uh, Thing, it takes our own time to do this. And so last week, Pastor Bethany talked about meditation, prayer, fasting, and study. And that's sort of the way this week's going to go. If you have your notes with you, you see that we kind of are just going to talk about um, four uh, disciplines that are coming up. And we're going to talk about the disciplines, uh, the, the importance of training yourself to grow. It's sort of in the same way you got to train yourself to lift more weight, tra- to go to the gym. You need a routine. You need a routine if you want to grow. It's just reality. Um, I was, I'm leading a class Monday nights right now called Foundations, and um, I asked everyone what their daily routine was for following Jesus. And everybody kind of just went around the room and shared, oh, this is what I do, this is what I do, this is what I do. And, and the reality is it doesn't matter what your routine is, it just matters that you have one, right? Because everybody's different. You might be an evening person, and you're like, oh, man, I... I take a glass of tea, and I read my Bible, and I'm an evening Bible reader. Well, I'm a morning guy. I, I, I like the mornings. My brain works better in the mornings. So I, I'm just a morning person with Jesus, you know? But everybody's got a different routine. Some people break for lunch, and at lunch, they do all their quiet time and devotionals. Awesome. It doesn't matter what the routine is as long as you have one. That's what matters. Uh, the, the old motivational speaker, Zig Ziglar, used to say, if you aim for nothing, you'll hit it every time. You've heard that quote before. And it's so true. In your spiritual life, if you aim for nothing, you will always get that. Nothing. You have to have something to aim for. And this is what the disciplines do. They, they give us a life of aiming towards the character of Christ. Because I think one of the things that Jesus wants for you is to have his character deeply implanted into who you are. I know I've told this joke before, but it kind of gets into the heart of the disciplines and why they matter so much. An old number of years ago, a British newspaper person wrote in, a person wrote to the editor of the newspaper, in a British newspaper, and said, I've been going to church for the last 15 years, and I can't remember a single sermon. It was a complaint. The next day, another man wrote in with a reply and said, for the last 15 years, my wife has been cooking me breakfast, lunch, and dinner every day, and funny, I can't remember a single meal. 
But I have the sneaking suspicion that had she not cooked and had I not eaten, I would have been dead long ago. This is what the disciplines do for us. To eat from the table of Jesus every single day and grow a little bit every day. I cannot tell you what I read in my quiet time a couple days ago. I can't. But I know that I did. And there's some days I, I could tell you I just had an amazing experience. And there's some days I read the Bible and I'm like, okay, I, yeah, that was good. Good verse, underlined it, okay. And then go on throughout my day. Maybe God brings it to mind. But it was really just for that day. It wasn't necessarily for the next day. And that's why I need to eat from Scripture every day because it is for the day. So my point, I think, here is obvious. What is your routine for transformation. You need to have a routine. You know, all those folks that wanted to, that, that their, their goal was to lose weight, to go to the gym or whatever, man, it is the 14th of January. They're already done with those resolutions, right? <laughs> those resolutions ended that first week of being sore from going to the gym after a year, right? But what is your plan to stay consistent with Jesus not just for this year, but this is a lifetime that we're talking about. So grab your notes. The first fill-in, we're just going to tell you what the disciplines are, and we're going to talk about them a little bit on each one. So the first discipline that we're going to talk about today is simplicity. Simplicity. Simplicity is removing complexities from your life so that, you can, uh, so that your main focus is the kingdom of God. Removing complexities. And I want to start here with simplicity. At the heart of the simple life is speaking and telling the truth. Did you know that? The heart, there's nothing more complex than a life that has to remember lies, right? A life that has to keep up with all the stories you've told to other people. There's nothing more complex than that. It is being a truthful person. And one, how do you get to be a truthful person? Well, you tell the truth, but you live in relationship with the source of all truth, who is Jesus, who said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Truth isn't a concept in our reality. It's a person, and it's the person of Jesus. So living in truth gives you this appearance of just being more frank and natural with people. That's what it does. It, it opens you up. It gives you this spirit of openness because you've got nothing to hide. The reality is that there is nothing that will clutter up your life more than lying. And I think one of the best places to start, and, and the reason why I brought up truth-telling, is I think one of the best places to start is with speech. Because experts on culture tell us that speech is what actually builds culture. And so if you want to build a culture of simplicity, a culture of being truthful, then you have to start with your tongue, with your speech. It's one of the best places to start. Jesus says here, Matthew 5, 33 through 37, here's one of the, some of the things that Jesus says. He says, again, you've heard what I said to the people long ago. Do not break an oath, but fulfill to the Lord the vows you've made. But I tell you, do not swear an oath at all, either by heaven or by God's throne or by earth or by its footstool or by Jerusalem or by the city of the great king. And do not swear by your head, for you cannot make even one hair white or black. All you need to say is yes or no. Anything beyond that comes from the evil one. Jesus talks about our speech here. And he just says, 
live in a very uncluttered and simple life in the area of your speech. Just yes or no. You don't have to give big elaborate stories. You don't have to do any of that. Just yes or no. You don't have to like give false commitments to things. Just yes or no. That's it. Just yes or no. It's so simple. And why is this so hard to do? Right? It's so hard, but it's so simple. And again, it's so significant because it helps us create culture in our speech. See, the thing about simplicity is actually an inward reality that manifests itself outwardly. We're talking about the outward disciplines, but all of the outward disciplines start deep in a life with God. So this is simplicity, and it starts in your relationship with God. It starts within you and the Lord and, and being truthful in your life. And once you're learned to be truthful, then it's so easy to start branching that out and, and going elsewhere. Simplicity is really captured well in this verse with Jesus, Matthew 6, 33. He says this, But seek first his kingdom and righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Well, Jesus, we're going to talk about what all these things were, but Jesus talks about living an uncluttered life, and the very first thing you have to do is set your direction on God's kingdom and his will. That is the simplest possible thing to do, is to set your life Toward, moving towards God's kingdom, his righteousness, his will, just pushing forward in that area. And of course, here's some of the things he's saying. Even Let's go back in time now, Matthew 6, 19 through 21. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where moth and vermin do not destroy, where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So the reason why we discipline ourselves inwardly for simplicity is that it spills into our outward lives. Jesus warns us about stuff. Having a life with just tons and tons of stuff is not necessarily simple. You have to maintain that life. You do. It's hard. you got to like maintain it all, your, your stuff. And, all stuff. And, and if we're not careful, we could become worshipers of the stuff over Jesus. We could give more of our time and attention to the stuff, and it doesn't become a simple life. It actually becomes a very complex life. And it, it becomes hard, or, or even second or third place in our mind to seek Jesus' kingdom first because of the stuff. So it seems like a simple, logical conclusion if Jesus says, do not store up stuff where, 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 um, because that will become your treasure. Well, how do we change what we treasure? How do we do that? Right? Let's keep reading. Jump down to verse 25. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink or about your body, what you'll wear. Is life not more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. There's nothing more simple than birds, guys. Have you guys ever heard the, I, I love the spoof on conspiracy theories, birds aren't real. Anybody see that? It's, it's an actual joke. I used to tell my kids that birds weren't real. They're actually government drones that charge themselves on power lines. Oh, it was so much fun. They believed me for a little while. Then they got older. They didn't believe. Anyways, there's nothing more simple than birds. I, I don't know how I got off in that direction. 
But this is what Jesus is saying. Look at the birds. They just eat. I've provided for them. I've provided this world for them. That's all, that's all they need. I want you to be like that. Consider the birds. Are you not much more valuable than they? Jesus is like, dude, I love you, man. Aren't, you're more valuable than birds. Can any of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about clothes? Oh, we worry about clothes a lot, don't we? See how the flowers of the fields grow? They don't labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that's how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow, and is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after these things. And your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble on itself. Jesus is absolutely calling his followers to practice the discipline of simplicity. To not have their lives tied up in all kinds of possessions and things. Now, it's okay if you have stuff. like that. There's nothing wrong with having stuff. The problem is what you worship and what you seek. If you find yourself constantly like a slave to, to Amazon, you know what I mean? And like, you're like, I just can't get off this thing. I can't stop buying stuff. Then, then, then maybe you need to practice this discipline and say, okay, for a month, I'm just not going to buy a thing. Other than what we need for our house, groceries and, you know, things like that. I, I'm not going to do that. For a week, I'm just not going to buy a thing. I need to practice, the, I need to put myself under the discipline of simplicity. And seek first. And, and, and you don't do that just because you want to spend less. Do you get what I'm saying? You don't do this because like, oh, I've got a problem. You do this because you want to learn to seek first the kingdom of God. That's why you practice the discipline of simplicity. It's not just so that you could be slightly better in some area. It's so that you could seek first God's kingdom. So there's a practice on the end of all these. And I just wrote them for you. For, tell the truth. Give stuff away. If you want to learn, or maybe even for some people, it's abstain from buying things or, or something like that. But if you want to put yourself under this discipline and say, I want to practice this this week, here's what I want to encourage you to do. Tell the truth. Give things away. What do I have that I don't need? Easy, just go start in your closet. I mean, gosh, we all clutter those things up, right? Next. And again, these are just, it's not normal sermon series, right? We're just going through the disciplines one by one. So it's like a bunch of little sermonettes. Solitude. Solitude is the next discipline. The practice of intentionally being alone for a period of time. There's some of you who are introverts and you're like, yes, love this. I love being alone. I get energized by being alone, all that stuff. You think, yes, I just love it. It's easy for me to seek out solitude because I'm with people so much. So I, I love solitude even though I'm an extrovert. I love being around people. Uh, but every now and then, I, well, not, I mean, probably every day, I need a little bit of solitude. I need a little bit of alone time. For some of you, it's the other way around. You need a lot of alone time so that you could be around people. 
for me, I need a lot of people time so that I could be like, oof, I need to be alone for a little bit, you know? And it's just the opposite way that, that I work, and I'm wired. The rest of humanity has a pr- pretty profound fear. Most of humanity, I should say. Most of humanity has a pretty profound fear of being alone. And that fear of being alone and loneliness drives us deeper and deeper into the noise. Think about that. How many times do we mindlessly, how many hours, how much has Apple just like shamed you and said, here's your screen time for this week, right? Uh, My screen time this week, full disclosure, I've done a lot of bike riding indoors because my wife is out of town <laughs> with my oldest daughter. And so I've been riding my bike indoors and like watching movies while I ride my bike, so which I don't normally do on the road, normally no screen time. But this morning, my, my iPhone told me my screen time has been up by 50%. Yeah. We're so afraid of being alone that, that, that we drive deeper into the noise of life, don't we? Some of us need to just turn our phones off and leave them somewhere for a couple hours. Like, the world's not going to end. Well, maybe it will. I don't know. But, I mean, everything's happening so fast these days. But my point is, we drive deeper into the noise rather than deeper into a relationship with Jesus. Here's what solitude will do for you. Solitude is about finding your worth and your value in Jesus. Just Jesus and you alone rather than all the noise. Jesus was alone a lot in his ministry. Now again, the disciplines aren't like spelled out in the Bible. It's not, I mean, some of them are, but it's not as if Jesus was talking in the Bible and he's like, okay, now go practice all these things and somebody wrote them down. No, 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 no. What the disciplines are is us looking back at what Jesus did in his life and go, oh man, we need to do some of those practices. To go deeper. Luke 5, 16. But Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. Luke twenty two forty one, He withdrew about a stone's throw beyond them, knelt down and prayed. I mean, even when he was with people, think about how far you could throw a stone. You know, maybe just like across the building or something like that. And that he just walked that. I mean, how awkward is that? You're in your group of friends and you just walk down a stone's throw away and you're just like... Start praying, you know? It just seems awkward. That's what Jesus did. He was like, I need alone time. And it's not just alone time, me time. It's seeking after the heart and the will of God and learning your value in Jesus. That's what solitude will do. This is what Jesus did. This is what he was seeking. Remember, Jesus went and fed 5,000 people. And that number, by the way, 5,000 people, is just the amount of men that were in the, in the crowd. There's probably much, much more than that. And then the day after that, Jesus is like, yeah, I'm going to go hide out and pray. And his followers are like, are you nuts? There's so many people here. Like, we could, we could really make this into a kingdom movement. You got it right here, Jesus. And he withdrew and prayed. Because after every great move of God, he knew he had to go back to the heart of the Father. And before every great thing that God was going to do, he had to go spend time in solitude and pray. Before any major trial that would happen in his life, what was the Garden of Gethsemane? 
It was Jesus alone withdrawing from his friends in solitude with the Lord, being reminded of his worth and his value and his mission. Because what he had to do was go to the cross. Being disciplined in this area also means silence. Solitude goes with silence. That's what it does. Solitude and silence are sort of like one and the same. You know, you could go into solitude, and like Pastor Bethany talked about last week, in prayer sometimes we just talk, 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 and we don't take time to hear from God. Solitude helps us to be silent before the Lord and listen to what the Lord has to say. I, I, I read this this week, just as a disciplined basketball team can work together in the last minute of a game to get the points they need to win, a person who is under the discipline of silence says what needs to be said when it counts. It doesn't mean you're totally silent all the time. If we are silent when we should be speaking, we miss the discipline of silence. And if we speak when we should be silent, then we're not practicing silence. Guys, this week, I would not recommend that you tell your wives to go practice the discipline of silence. (laughs) See, the tongue is our most powerful form of manipulation. It is. It's the most powerful form. Oftentimes, we're living in a constant stream of modifying our public image through the words that we say. But when we're silent... That could be huge for us because we learn that our value comes from the Lord. Our intrinsic worth is is from the Lord. When we're silent, we learn to let the Lord justify us. Even in the midst of trials, we we learn to let the Lord justify who we are and, and, and validate who we are rather than the world. When we practice silence and solitude, then we have a deep inner connection with the Lord. And we have the freedom not to straighten other people out when we have the discipline of silence. I know I've had to do this. I, I have a knee-jerk reaction to talk. Shocker, right? I'm up here talking all the time. My knee-jerk reaction is to talk things out. I'm an external processor. My staff will tell you that. I'll, kick, I'll throw 30 ideas out there and just process, 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 process. Because I like that idea of verbally talking it out. So for me, this discipline is really important. I need to go be silent before the Lord all the time because I need to squash that practice of wanting to talk all the time. So the practice is take time away to listen to the Lord and try not to speak. That's hard. Let's go to the next one. Submission. The discipline of submission an attitude of yielding or surrender. Now, we know this intrinsically, that we have to submit to the Lord, right? We know that intrinsically. Right now, um, we just know that through reading Scripture, that Jesus says, take up your cross and follow me, and that means submitting to the Lord. We, we get that. We know that. But I can't tell you how many times I've sat down with couples who I'm going to marry, and Everything's great in marriage counseling and all that stuff. And everything's wonderful. And we go to plan the, the service and they say, Pastor, um, this is great. But, you know, whatever you want to do in the ceremony is fine with us as long as you don't use the word submit. 
And I just laugh. And, and I like will laugh in front of them. And I'll say, do you, do you know that the word submit is in the Bible? It's a biblical word. And, and I, I get what they're saying. They're saying, don't make us, don't use the word obey is really what they're saying. And so I say, do you, do you know, let's talk about Ephesians, the book of Ephesians. Let's talk about chapter 5. Let's talk about what the word submit means. Do you know what it means? Submit to one another out of reverence. It means laying your lives down for one another. Because if you guys aren't willing to submit to each other, you're, you're basically practicing for divorce, is what you're doing. Marriage is submission. It's submission to one another. It, it's giving yourselves over to each other and surrendering to one another. That's what marriage is. And I basically tell them right there, I'm like, if you're not willing to do that, then I don't think I'm willing to marry you. <laughs> because if you're not going to submit to each other, then, then why go through this wedding? Why go through with it? People don't like the word submit. They, we like to be in charge. We like to have control. We like it. It feels powerful when, when we have control. See, the opposite of submission is rebellion. So I tell the couples, so are you planning on living in rebellion to each other? Because <laughs> that won't be good for your marriage. I'm just telling you right now, if you're going to rebel against each other, your marriage is not going to go well. So married couples, I get what they're, or couples who are getting married, I get what they're saying. They don't want there to be a hierarchical position in their marriage where one has to blindly obey the other. And we say, you know, that's not what the Bible says about marriage at all. It says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. But first we have to start with what Jesus calls his disciples to. We have to live in submission to Jesus. And here's what he says, Mark 8, 34. Then he called the crowd to him along with the disciples and said, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. What does it mean to deny yourself? It doesn't mean to celebrate yourself. It doesn't mean to indulge yourself. It doesn't mean to treat yourself. It means to give yourself up. It means to surrender yourself to Jesus in direct opposition to what our world tells us that we need to be or what we ought to do with ourselves. Jesus says to deny yourself. There's huge freedom in submission, and it's immediately obvious. It is a terrible burden, a terrible, terrible burden to have to get your own way all the time. Do you know that? Some of you don't think that that's true. Some of you are like, no, I like getting my own way. It's a very terrible burden to live under. It might not be hard for you now, but I guarantee you that down the road, it becomes more burdensome and burdensome and burdensome and burdensome. Maybe not to you, but to everyone around you. You get what I'm saying? Submission frees you from the burden of having to have your own way. It does. It's saying, okay, Jesus, I will have your way. That's what submission is. Not my will, God, but your will be done. And sometimes in relationships, in our human relationships, we force our will onto somebody else. And that might not be burdensome for the person who's forcing it, but for the one whom is forced upon, it is a burdensome relationship. And so we have to learn submission. 
to say, it doesn't have to go my way, and I'll be okay. I'm going to abandon the outcomes, and that's fine with me. I'm going to leave the outcomes to God, and that is fine. We need to have the freedom to give in to one another, to let things go, to surrender, to submit. Every time there's a fight in any area of life, usually it's because we refuse to let somebody else have their way. Maybe somebody's way is bad. The the fight is well-deserved. I don't know. But Scripture itself doesn't set up hierarchical relationships, but communicates inner attitudes of submission. That's what Scripture does, all of Scripture. When you learn to submit to others, then you really begin to value them. You, you value, uh, you value um, what God is doing in them, especially within the church. And there's some things we should not submit to in our world and our culture that are not of God. And we shouldn't let that have its way in our lives, of course. But surrendering to things of God first, to the way of the cross, denying ourselves to follow Jesus' way, is coming to the understanding that we don't have to have our own way. Our happiness is not dependent on getting what we want when we want it. This is what the discipline of submission gets us. It's why the marriage relationship, in the marriage relationship, Paul says this in in the very beginning. He's going to write his treatise to husband and wives, and he says this. He starts it with this, Ephesians 5.21, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Husbands and wives, in the marriage relationship, surrender to one another out of reverence for Jesus. Why? Because this is the relationship that you're to have with Jesus. Husbands, maybe you've never heard this before. Yes, you are supposed to submit to your wife, but it's a mutual submission. She's also supposed to submit to you. And when one person's in rebellion there, it is really tough, isn't it? Marriage always works out better when we are surrendered to one another. When you have to get your own way, oh, man, that's difficult. So here's the practice that I have for you, and it's written in your notes, and some of you are like, I knew I hated this church. You're going to cross out and get up and leave. (laughs) Practice not getting your own way. For one week, actively try and do things other people's way. Oh. (laughs) Yeah. For one week. Try that as a practice. Just try it on like a pair of pants that you are going to do things somebody else's way. Oh, man. When somebody goes, yeah, I feel like uh, this kind of food tonight. And you're like, don't want that. Submit to them. Go eat that. When somebody says, I feel like we should do this, unless it's dangerous or sinful or something like that. You, You understand what I'm saying? Like if somebody's like, I feel like we should go jogging on the freeway. Don't submit to that. It's a bad idea, you know? Practice not getting your own way for one week. You will find freedom, I guarantee this. Because it is a terrible burden in having to have your own way all the time. Next, service. Service is helping or assisting people. Our church is so good at this. You guys are amazing at service. There's this great deal of pretentiousness that needs to be dealt with in the human heart, isn't there? 
We have a lot of pretense. And this is what service does. What service does is it frees us from the pretentiousness, from, from this um, self-righteousness that we have. This is what Jesus said he came to do, John 13, 14 through 15. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have sent in you as an example that you should do as I have done for you. Matthew 6, 1 through 3. Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others, to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. So when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets, and the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets, to be honored by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received the reward in full. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. So I gave you these two verses back to back. Why? One, Jesus calls us to serve. Two, Jesus calls us to be quiet about it. To serve, just at, not to get a human reward of people patting you on the back, but to, to simply serve them because they are created by God. They are creatures made in God's image that you, that deserve your attention. See, sometimes we don't serve because we think just sort of deep down inside that other people don't deserve my time. They don't deserve it. And there's a great deal of pretense in that attitude. There's a great deal of self-importance in that attitude. So serving in this area, serving breaks us of this pretense, of this self-righteousness that's so prevalent within us. I'll tell you, when I was first a youth pastor, I, I got elevated to this position of youth pastor, and I thought, man, they just, I, I got licensed, they gave me the title of pastor, people were starting to throw around this term Pastor Dave, and I was like, I'm pretty awesome. I, you know, I started to think I was pretty great. And then, um, and then we had a youth event. And I had the kids take out the trash, and our garbage was all the way in the back. And we, uh, we did this thing. We, I don't remember what it was, but we used tons and tons of cooking oil. I don't remember what it was. But they dragged the trash cans, all, or the trash, not cans, the bags, all the way from the kitchen out to the trash cans. So there was literally an oil stain all the way out. And it, it's so far back there uh, on, on some, like, brand-new concrete, too. So I thought... I could either come here with a power washer or get crucified tomorrow morning. I came with a power washer. Um, a Dawn dish soap and a power washer. And it took me about six hours to power wash all that concrete and get it all off. But it was in that time of serving my church that God dealt with some of that pretense in my heart. And he said, I wanted you serving me first, doing, doing the lowly things you thought were beneath you. I needed you to do these things so you could learn how to serve, so you could get rid of this pretense that's so deeply embedded in your heart. That's my story of serving. Sometimes we need to put ourselves under these disciplines. So I don't know, maybe you're here today. Well, actually, let's do this. Practice. Pick a person and serve them in secret. Don't let them know that you're serving them. Serve them in secret. I don't know for you which of these practices that you want to discipline yourselves to do.
But I want to encourage you to pick one. You know, you can't do them all. Pick one and say, I'm going to put myself under this discipline this week. Maybe it's the discipline of solitude, and you're just going to go be alone and, and, and get away from the noise and be silent and realize your worth in God. I don't know what it is. Maybe it's um, this, the discipline of, of surrender, right? Where, we, where you have to surrender yourself to Jesus. You, you have to submit to Jesus. And so this week, what you're going to do in surrender is you're going to let somebody else have their own way. Maybe, maybe you're going to do that. What discipline do you need to put yourself under this week? And say, okay, Lord, you and I, we're going to do this together. Maybe it's simplicity. You need to declutter your lives and start speaking the truth. I don't know. What is the discipline that you're going to do? In this next time of worship, I intentionally asked Lena, who's leading for us today. Thank you, Lena, who's leading for us today. Uh, Jeff's on vacation. I intentionally asked her to play a slow, quiet song because I want us to think through and pray through, Lord, what do you want us to do this week? How do we grow deeper with you? What are some things in our life we need to root out by the roots? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we just thank you for the disciplines. I thank you that you practice them. You set the example. So Father, I pray that we would hear from you right now. That you would speak to each one of us right now. That we might go deeper in relationship with you. And you might lead us to pick a discipline that will help us go deeper with you this week, oh Lord. We surrender ourselves to you right now. In the name of Jesus and all God's people said, Thank you for listening to the River's Edge Church Podcast with Pastor Dave Johnson. We hope you enjoyed this episode and that God has touched your heart through today's message. Please leave us a review and share with your friends. For more information about the ministries of REC, check us out on Facebook, Instagram, or YouTube. See the links in the description.